Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Job. And uh, while you're turning Job chapter 1, I would just like to say I've thoroughly enjoyed being here. And I don't just say that to be kind. I have enjoyed the fellowship with your pastor and his wife and uh, and some of the members here uh, before and after church. It's just been such a blessing. And I want to thank, uh, of course, the pastor and his wife. And I'd like to thank the church as well uh, for the accommodations and uh, for the nice motel room and for the good meals that uh, y'all have provided for us and for the nice baskets. Uh, you've just been such a blessing to us and we know we're not worthy of that and I don't say that as formality. I, everything I have uh, and everything that I've got, God's people's gave it to me. And I know it's the Lord, but He's used His people and I never want to take it for granted. I also never want to feel like I'm deserving of anything uh, that any of God's people would ever do for me. And so I just appreciate the sacrifice. Appreciate you being here every night in the meeting. What a blessing it's been just to, uh, to be here. And I'll tell you, I've enjoyed the the presence of God. Amen. I've enjoyed the singing. I've enjoyed the worship, the testifying. I appreciate uh, your pastor and his sensitivity to just uh, mind the Lord and obey God. That's so needed in this hour. And even some things he said tonight, I thought how relevant it is for the day we're living in. Don't ever get used to the atmosphere of your church. I'll tell you, if you do that, uh, you can grow cold and indifferent. I've seen good people die in good churches and they never got out and sin. They just dried up on the vine in a good place. And and so always keep the fire uh, burning in your heart. And I do want to say I apologize after church. We may head out a little quicker than we normally do just to, uh, to head back home and, uh, of course, get some things ready there. So do pray for us and, and pray for us uh, as we travel that God would keep us safe and give us strength and that He would always, always be glorified in everything that we say and do. And I'd like to preach a few minutes tonight from Job chapter 1, if you're able to stand with us. Uh, this message was on my heart, and then I thought about these young people up here singing. And of course, Pastor was, as he said, was going to have some other songs and uh, nobody knew. He didn't know. I didn't know uh, what would take place. But I just believe everything has been just led by the Holy Spirit in this service tonight. So you pray with us and for us that God would help us. Job chapter 1 and verse number 1. The Bible said, there, Now there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses in a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when their days, uh, when their days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus did Job continually. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. 
Father, I do want to thank you tonight for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, dear Lord, for your presence tonight and what we have felt in this place. And I pray now that you'll take the reading of thy word and speak to us and speak through us tonight. And may you be glorified. Help our hearts and help our homes and draw us near to you and near to Calvary. And God, when we leave tonight, I pray that we'll leave challenged and changed for the glory of God. And may you be pleased with our worship tonight. And Father, for all that will be said and done, we'll thank you and we'll love you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to take these first few verses of the book of Job tonight. And I know you're uh, familiar with the story. You're familiar with the trials and, and the suffering of Job. And I'm really not dealing with uh, Job's trials nor his suffering. I think tonight that uh, these verses stand alone when, uh, when you think about the book of Job. In fact, the first five verses that I've read to you tonight I think is different in the setting uh, as, as opposed to the entire book. And we'll say more about that in just a moment. But what amazes me about the Bible, when you look at verse number one, is how that God uh, can say so much about a man in just one verse. Amen? I mean, you th think about this tonight. Uh, the Bible tells us a lot about the Job in this, in this one verse. And it also uh, tells us that God knew so much about Job, and he pinned it down, and he wrapped it up in just one verse. In fact, I think verse number one is probably one of the greatest verses, if not the greatest verse in the entire book of Job. You say, well now preacher, why would you make that statement? Well, in this verse, God tells us how much he knew about Job. Notice in verse number one that he knew his place. The Bible says here that there was a man that lived in the land of us. Now think about that. Uh, do you know where us was? I mean, I, I don't know where it was, and you don't know where it was. And if you read a lot of commentaries, some will tell you where they think it is, uh, uh, but no, they don't really know that for sure. But God knew his place. He knew exactly where he lived. He knew exactly where he was. Uh, he was in the land of us. And then he knew his person. The Bible said there was a man that lived in the land of us whose name was Job. Amen. Now isn't that interesting tonight that God uh, knew Job on a first name basis. Amen. I mean when you consider the book of Job tonight and you consider the trials and the sufferings and, and the heartaches that Job is going to go through. It may not bring a lot of comfort to me and you because we've not been through what Job has been through. But I'm sure it must have comforted Job in his trials that God knew his place and he knew his person. He knew his name and he knew his address. He knew who he was and he knew where he lived. Job was not just some statistic. And can I tell you tonight, if God knew who Job was and if God knew who where Job lived, you can rest assured tonight, God knows who you are. He knows who I am and he knows where we live tonight. Amen. He knew his place and he knew his person and then he knew his priorities. Look at verse 1 again. He said he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Amen. I mean God knew the priorities of Job. He knew that he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Do you know tonight God knows our priorities. Amen. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. He knows our will. He knows our motive tonight. He knows everything about us. He knows what we think. He knows every thought that's went through our mind today. He knows what our intentions are. Amen. I mean, God knows our priorities tonight. God knew everything there was to know about Job, where he lived, what his address was, what his priorities was. And God knows those same things about us tonight.
And when we come to this text, what we note about Job is that in verse number 1, we see that Job was a perfect man. The Bible says here that he was a, that he, that, uh, and that, that man was perfect and upright. Now that does not mean that he was sinless. It does not mean that, uh, that he didn't commit sin, that he was uh, faultless. But what he means is that he was complete, that, that Job uh, was mature. And think about this tonight. I mean, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Isn't that right? I mean, when you think about that being the oldest book of the Bible, uh, that means that Job did not have a Bible. Amen? I mean, Job didn't have a Bible, uh, but he was a perfect man. He was complete in his Christianity, so to speak. He was complete in his faith. He was spiritually mature. How can a man be spiritually mature without uh, the Word of God, without a Bible? Uh, Job didn't have a Bible. I'll tell you something else Job didn't have. He didn't have a church to go to. Amen? I mean, here's a man with no Bible. He didn't have a church to go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but God said he was perfect. He was spiritually mature. Don't you thank God for a good church to go to, a good place to come, and a good place to worship? Hey, Job didn't have a Bible to get up in the morning and read. Job didn't have a church to go to and worship and attend. I'll tell you something else Job didn't have. Job didn't have a pastor. Amen. Job didn't have somebody he could pick the phone up and call and say, Preacher, will you pray with me and for me? He didn't have somebody that he could call and say, I've got some burdens on my heart. I, he didn't, there was no preacher's wife to help counsel him and his wife through the trial and the sufferings, the, the burial of his children, all, all of his children when they dug those graves and, and they planted all those children in the ground. And one day, there was no pastor to come put his arm around Job and his wife. There was no church family to stand in his corner and say, we're praying for you through what you're going through. But yet God said he was perfect. The question that come to my mind in verse number one, preachers, how can a man with no Bible, no church, and no pastor, how can he be spiritually mature? The answer is in verse one. Here it is. One that feared God and eschewed evil. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion. It's Ecclesiastes 12 and, and the last two verses of that, tech, of that chapter. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, every secret thing. But God is going to reveal it one day. And Job didn't have a Bible. Job didn't have a preacher. Job didn't have a church, but he was a perfect man. Why? Because he feared God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he stayed away. He eschewed evil. Amen. I'm telling you, if you want to have a blessed life, and if you want to be spiritually mature, you fear God and you stay away from evil. Because I've met people who had a good King James Bible. They had a good church to go to. And they had a pastor. And guess what? They didn't live up to spiritual maturity. You know why? Because they didn't fear God and they didn't stay away from evil. Job was a perfect man. And then I see Job in verses 2 through 4. Job was a prosperous man. God had blessed Job. In verse 1, God had blessed his faith. Amen. As he was perfect and upright. In verse 2, God had blessed uh, his family. He had seven sons and three daughters. And then in verse number 3 and verse number 4, uh, God had blessed his finances. He, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 sheasses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. Job was a prosperous man, wasn't he? You know, there's nothing wrong with having things as long as things don't have you. 
There's nothing wrong with having a nice car and a good home. And, and if God's blessed you financially and you've got money in the bank, uh, uh, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, listen, uh, there's nothing wrong with having the things that money can buy as long as you don't let them keep you from the things that money can't buy. Amen? And a lot of times that's what has happened. Uh, people have got so wrapped up in the things that money can buy that they miss out on the riches and the blessings uh, that money will never buy them. Amen? But Job was a prosperous man. He prospered in his faith first. Uh, he prospered in his, his family secondly. And then he prospered in his finances uh, last. Amen? You know in America the problem is today is that people put finances first, uh, then they put family second, and then faith goes to the bottom of the shelf. Amen? But I'll tell you a perfect man, one that fears God and one that eschews evil, he'll have his priorities right uh, and it'll be his relationship with God first. Uh, it'll be his relationship with his family second and then it'll be his relationship with the things of this world finally and lastly. Job was a prosperous man, but here's what I want to preach on a few minutes tonight. It's a bird in my heart, verse 5. Job's a praying man. When you get to verse 5, Job is praying. But he's not just praying. What he's praying about is what I want to preach on tonight. He's praying for his children. And I want to preach a few minutes tonight on the importance of praying for your children. The importance of praying for your children tonight. Tonight, as I think about this younger generation, I think about these young people that got up here and sung tonight, and, and I thought about it as I looked at them, and, and I saw the young faces here. You know what crossed my mind, young people? I wonder tonight as you sing those songs, and, and you did such a wonderful job about taking a stand, the question that rose in my heart tonight, is it in your heart? Amen. Will you take the stand? Is it more than just a song, but is it a commitment? Is it a conviction? Will you stand when your friends don't stand. Will you stand when everybody else has walked away? You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm trying to encourage you tonight. You're living in an evil generation. They don't want to educate you. They want to indoctrinate you. Amen. They're not interested in you learning and getting an education. They want you to believe what they want you to believe. It doesn't matter if it's facts or fiction. They want to just teach you what they think. They want to teach you that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. When the Bible says that God made male and female made he both of them. Amen. And there's just two genders. Isn't that right? Uh, but this generation wants to teach you that. They want to teach you all kinds of perversion that you can use any restroom you want to use uh, and you can cross dress uh, and you can be a, a transgender. They want to teach you all these things uh, uh, so bad that they put it in cartoons and, and they put it on commercials and, and they put it in all kinds of illustrations. You can't even go to the supermarket anymore uh, without seeing uh, uh, that kind of perversion and filthiness. Uh, they want to plaster it everywhere. Why? Because they want to desensitize us and they want us to get used to it. And they really don't care about us that are older tonight. And they're more concerned about a younger generation coming up, accepting that lifestyle. When God said it is an abomination, amen, that means it is a stench in the nostrils of a thrice holy God. Abominations are never done away with in the Bible, amen. They're the worst kind of all sins. And listen, any or any nation that's ever embraced salt me has always been a nation that's been on a slippery slope uh, that has faced the judgment of God and that is America tonight. Amen. And what I'm saying is that there's ever been a generation of young people that needs the prayers of their parents and their pastor and my friend it's this generation we're living in tonight. Amen. And we need to have a burden and we need to pray for our children tonight. Our Savior on His way to the cross 
All of hell could not stop him from Calvary. The Roman soldiers could not stop him from going to the brow of that hill. Every demon and their angry mob that stood around him and the accusations and all the torments that led uh, from Pilate's hall down through the streets of Jerusalem, not a one of them could stop our Savior as he carried that cross to Calvary. But I'll tell you what did stop him. Some women that was weeping. Jesus stopped long enough on his way to Calvary to turn back to say to them this, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and weep for your children. Tonight we need a burden for our children. We need a burden for our grandchildren. You say, tonight I don't have children, I don't have grandchildren. Then get a burden for somebody else's children and grandchildren. So I think about it, Job in chapter 1 and verse 5. This is what separates these verses that we've read tonight from the rest of the book. You say, what is it? Job is praying for his children, but he's not praying for his children in a time of a storm. He's not praying for his children in a time of suffering and trial. Job is praying for his children when everything is going good in his life. Right, amen. You realize in these first five, five verses, the sun is still shining in Job's life. He has ten children. He has servants. He has, he has oxen. He has camels. Uh, uh, Job is the greatest man in all the East. Young people, you listen to me. The devil tells you, if you live for God, you'll never be great. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible makes it clear in verse number 3 that Job was the greatest man of all the East. Uh, I'm going to tell you, if you live for God, you can still be great. You may not be great in the eyes of this world, but you can be great in the eyes of God. And Job was a great man for God. And God had blessed him, and the sun was shining in his life. Uh, Job didn't wait till the suffering and the trial came to start praying. He prayed in the good days of his life. And I read this verse one day, preacher, a few years back, and I thought to myself, God spoke to me about praying for my children. And he spoke to me personally about what it involves. And I want to give you a few thoughts tonight about what it, praying for your children tonight involves the importance of it. And we'll be through. First of all, I want you to see this tonight, that it involves sanctification. The Bible says, and it was so that when the days of their feasting were going about, verse 5, that Job sent and he sanctified them. What does it mean to sanctify your children? What does that mean that Job sanctified them? Well, you know what sanctification means tonight? It means to be set apart. Isn't that right? It means to, if you sanctify something, you set it apart. Amen? It means for a purpose. That means uh, it has been set apart from everything else. Well, here's what Job did when he came to praying for his children. Job sanctified them. He set them apart. And I want to tell you tonight uh, that we should set our children apart in prayer. You say, preacher, how how do you set your children apart in prayer? I'm going to tell you how you set them apart in prayer. You pray specifically for them. That's how you sanctify them in prayer. When it comes to praying for your children, don't just pray. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with this, but don't make this your habit of prayer for your children. Don't just say, well, now, Lord, bless my children and just be with them today and watch over them and keep them safe. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. I'm not telling you you can't pray that way, but you need to go a little deeper than that when it comes to sanctifying your children in prayer. Listen, your children 
has needs. Isn't that right? They have physical needs. They have emotional needs. They have mental needs. Uh, and then they have spiritual needs. And too many times uh, uh, parents think that as long as they're raising their children, they're, they're not training their children, that they're doing their job. I want to tell you there's more to having children than putting a roof over their head and clothes on their back and food in their stomach. Amen? Uh, listen, I'm, I commend you for meeting those physical needs. Uh, but what your children need tonight is they need your prayers more and as much as they need anything else. Amen? And that means you sanctify them in prayer. How do I sanctify them in prayer? You pray specifically for their needs. You pray for their salvation. Too many times when children, parents pray for their children, they get saved. After they walk the aisle and get saved, here's what a parent will do. Unknowingly sometimes they wipe their brow and say, boy, I'm glad that's over with. Thank God for answering that prayer. Oh, that's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you something. The battle don't end when you get saved. It just begins. Amen. I'm telling you, when your kids get saved, they still need your prayers, and they need them as much after they get saved as they did before they got saved. Listen, you pray for their salvation, but then you pray for their safety. You pray that God will watch over them and keep them safe. In fact, I think when you have kids, I believe the first seven years, you're just trying to keep them alive. Isn't that right? I mean, that's the biggest part of parenting. The first seven years is just keeping them from, from you know, sticking their finger in a light socket, you know, or doing something dumb that they shouldn't do. I mean, listen, but you need to pray for for their safety because you can't be with them every hour of every second of every day but God can watch over them and then you need to pray about their, you need to pray for their strength, you need to pray for their health uh, you need to pray that God will keep them health, uh, healthy, you need to pray that God will touch their body physically and then you need to pray for their spirituality, amen, I'm not giving them to you in the exact order but you need to pray that your children won't just be saved but they'll have a knowledge, a working knowledge of God, that they'll have discernment that they'll hear the voice of the, of the Spirit of God even after they're saved that they'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You need to pray that they'll grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying pray for their spirituality. Amen. Pray that they'll have victory, that they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they'll not live in doubt all their Christian life, and that they'll live in peace. Uh, I'm saying pray for their salvation, pray for their spirituality, pray for their strength, pray for their uh, uh, safety, set them apart. Hey, pray for their service. Pray that your children will serve God all the days of their life. Pray that God will keep them from sin and from Satan. Pray for their spouse that they'll marry in the perfect will of God. You say, my children are still in diapers. It's not too early to pray. You know tonight how I know that. Because from the time that my children were born, those have been my prayers. Those are the prayers for my grandchildren tonight. I thought after my children was, was married and grown and, and left home, I, I remember shortly after uh, my youngest daughter got married and, and, and after that, it wasn't too long after that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said, you know those prayers that you have prayed for those children, now you start praying that for your grandchildren. And I didn't even have a grandchild at that time, but God started dealing with me and said, you just go ahead and start praying that for them now. And listen, they weren't even here in this world. Wasn't even a notification that they were coming into this world. But God put it in my heart to pray for their salvation, pray for their safety, pray for their spirituality. Lord, pray. I pray for their strength. God, keep them from sin and Satan all the days of their life. And may they serve you. Lord, help them to marry in the perfect will of God. You say, what are you doing? You're just sanctifying them in prayers, what you're doing. It involves sanctification. And then secondly, it involves sacrifice. Notice this. 
The Bible says, and it was so that when those days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them. Now look at this. The Bible said he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Do you see the sacrifice there? Job in this verse, he's sacrificing two things. Number one, he's sacrificing his time. The Bible said he rose up early in the morning. I kindly wonder if one of those boys went out over and looked over that hill and saw the smoke coming up off one of those burnt offerings, those sacrifices, and knew that his daddy had been praying for him. You see, you've got, to, you've got to get up early in the morning and pray for your children. You've got to make it the first. I'm not saying maybe you get up at 5 o'clock to go to work. Maybe you get up at 7 o'clock. Maybe I don't know what your schedule is. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have to get up until 8 o'clock in the day. I don't know what your schedule is. Maybe you're a mother, and so you're up late, and you're, you, you sleep in a little bit, and you get up at 8 o'clock. What I think the principle is teaching here is that when you get up, one of the first things that you ought to do every morning when you get up is pray for your children. It doesn't take that long to pray for them and spend some time and just pray. So pray for your children. And my friends, sacrifice the time. You say, Brother Gravely, I'm so busy and I've got a lot of things going on. I understand that. But I don't want to stand at the judgment seat, my friend. And I'm not preaching a guilt trip. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't want to stand at the judgment seat and be faithful every morning to brush my teeth and every morning to comb my hair, every morning to put on a stick of deodorant. I don't want to be faithful to every morning to be able to have done that because I saw the importance of taking care of the physical needs, but I didn't see the importance of spending the same amount of time praying for my children. Amen. Isn't it amazing how that we, in our minds, the devil makes us think, preacher, well, you don't have time. Sure. But it doesn't matter. I've had to get up in the morning. You have to. I've had to be at the airport many a times at 4.30 in the morning. And, and you know what I would have to do to do that? I would have to get up early to, to still make sure my teeth was brushed, to make sure that I took a shower. You don't just get up and roll out. I have been on the plane and seen some people that just rolled out of the bed, even sat next to some of them. The only place scarier than Walmart's the airport. I promise you that. Amen. What the airport is is Walmart on steroids. Amen but I have seen some that just got out of the bed and came and they torture, tormented all of them, all of us as a result of it. But I'm telling you this, anybody with any character knows that, hey, if I got to be there at 4.30, I'm just going to have to do what? Sacrifice. Because I've got to be presentable. Tonight, or this, tonight, you got to sacrifice the time. It'll cost you time to pray for your children, but not that much time. You've got to Sacrifice your treasures. He rose up early in the morning. Look at this. He offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. You see, Job got up in the morning, and Job, I believe, had a, I believe he had two trails, two war, well-war paths. You say, what is that? I believe he had a path wore out to the barn or out to the field, whatever he had out there, where he got up every morning and he went out there and he'd get one of them animals. And he get that animal, and he had another path, and that path led to the altar. And Job would take that animal, and he would put it on that altar. And the Bible tells us in this text here that Job offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. In other words, Job didn't just run out there and get an animal and go over there and preach and put it on the, offers, uh, on the altar and say, Now, Lord, I'm giving this uh, animal. This is for all my children. I'm sacrificing. Oh, no. 
according to the number of them all. He had ten children, that many had ten animals he sacrificed. Can you imagine Job getting up in the morning and getting that animal and he goes to that altar and you think about the work, you think about the preparation in, in killing that animal, draining its blood, quartering that animal out, putting it on that altar properly and using the tools and set it and chopping the wood and, and putting it around the fire and, and listen, getting that fire going and offering that burnt offering unto God and he would say, Lord, this is for Timmy and I'm giving this for Timmy this morning. You know his needs and Lord, I'm presenting this offering for him and he's sacrificed his own treasures. His own, it cost Job something to pray for his children, not just his time, but it cost him his treasure and he put that on the altar. And can you see it in your mind when it's done and when that altar has been, has been that offering has been, has, has, has been burnt and, and the altar has been satisfied. Job's not done. Job has to clean that altar off. He has to get rid of those ashes. He has to go back and get another animal and he brings it and he puts it on that altar and he does go through the same process uh, and he offers that offering he said now Lord this is for Johnny and one by one Job did that the sacrifice you know I've often wondered preacher if the reason in verse number 3 he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels is because he had 7 sons and 3 daughters and every time Job would take one out of the barn and put it on the altar, another one was being born in the field. Because you can't outgive God. His shovel's bigger than your spoon, isn't that right? I'm telling you, listen, you put something in that offering plate, God's going to be good to you and bless you for that. And every time Job put an animal on that altar for one of his children, God probably let two be born in the field. Amen. God said, he's sacrificing. He's given to me. He just opened the windows of heaven and he blessed him. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying praying for your children is an investment. Amen. Praying for your children brings prosperity in their life and it brings it in your life. You say, am I going to be rich if I pray for my children? You may have a whole lot of peace. You may have a whole lot of joy. Well, wouldn't that be good? Amen. Can I tell you something? The greatest joy you'll ever know is not what happens in your life, but what happens in your children's life. Isn't that right? You might be here not saying, well, my children's a mess. Start praying for them. You say, my children, I got a prodigal son. Start praying for them. I'm saying it involves sacrifice. It involves sobriety. And then notice this tonight. It involves steadfast or sobriety. Notice what he said here. And for Job said, look what Job said in verse number 5. In fact, I think this is the first time Job says anything now that I think about it in this book. The first thing Job has to say, I just saw that, is about his children. And look what he said. He said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. Look at this in their hearts. The first thing that Job has to say in the book of Job is about his children. And Job, he, his prayer involved this sobriety. I want you to think about this. He faced the sobering fact that one of his children could not be right with God in their hearts. Now I want to tell you tonight the greatest mistake that parents can make in church is to assume that their children are doing good because of what they see. 
You might be here tonight and say, well, Brother Gravely, as far as I can tell, as far as I can see, my children, they love God and they're living for God. Man, they're singing in the youth choir. They're going to church and, and they love God. Hey, that's wonderful. But can I tell you something tonight as a pastor? I've seen a lot of them do that. I remember a few years ago, and Brother Williams could testify to this, a young man that sang in our youth group. He had a voice. I'm telling you, he could sing. He could play instruments. God had blessed him. He had influence in the youth group. And I remember it was Thanksgiving, it was Tuesday night of Thanksgiving week. We were having our Thanksgiving service, and our youth choir sang that night. And he sang uh, that song that y'all sung the other night uh, about walking down memories uh, lane that passed so long ago, and Satan right beside. And, and, he, and, he, and he sung that song. I remember him singing it. We shouted, everybody shouted, he shouted. And on Thanksgiving Day, he came to his father when he was working out in the shed and gave him the keys to his car. And he said, here, he was about 18 years old. He said, here's my keys. He already has bags packed. He said, I'm leaving. And he left home. On Tuesday night, two days before, everything I could see, everything his dad could see, everything, it looked. You say, Brother Gravely, what are you saying? Face this sobering fact tonight. That there's a part of your children's life that you can't see and that they really don't know because it's desperately wicked that only God knows it. And Job was such a spiritual man that Job did not let what he saw on the outside. He didn't say his sons had cursed God. He said it may be. He didn't even say they cursed God with their mouth. He said it may be that they've cursed God in their hearts. Job said, there's a part of my children's life that I'll never be able to see, that only God sees, and that they really don't even know. It's so desperately wicked. And what Job did, he allowed that to be the tool, that sobering fact to be the tool to drive him to his knees every single day to pray for his children. Because I'm going to tell you this tonight, I have seen people, I have seen parents weep and shed their tears, and I've seen them uh, weep, and the shock, you know why? Because their children went another way, and they would say, I just didn't see it. And then I've seen parents get up upset and get, and get aggravated because they wouldn't accept the fact that their child could be the next casualty on the devil's list. Praying for your children involves sobriety. My son-in-law's here tonight, and him and my wife, or him and his wife is in full-time ministry. My daughter, my other son-in-law's son a preacher tonight, and him and his wife have, have been faithfully serving God. And as far as I know tonight, they all love God and they're living for God and, and they're serving God. But even after all of these years, I'm not a fool to think that Satan would not want to ruin one of my daughter's life. One of my, my son-in-laws, and I say that very respectfully tonight. As men of God, I, I'm not so fool to, uh, such a fool to think that God would want to ruin one of those men of God's life. And, and tonight, you say, what do you, what do you mean, preacher? I'm saying the only thing I can do and, want to, and, and should do is pray for them every single day as I know they pray for me. It involves sobriety. And then notice this. It involves steadfastness. Look at the last phrase of verse 5. Thus did Job continually... You see, the offering of these animals was not something that Job did occasionally, but continually. It wasn't something that Job just did when he could afford to, or when he felt like it, or when he had the time, but continually. Tonight, parent, can I say this to you? 
You know, being a parent is a unique thing, isn't it? Because the day that you have children, the day you get employed, you really don't know anything about it. Isn't that right? I mean, you think about the day that that, that first child is born, you don't know how to raise children because you've never raised any children. Now, I've met a few that thought they did. Don't you love those? And y'all probably don't have them, but don't you love these? You know, you got your Betty Crocker moments who think they cook better than everybody else, and, and uh, they probably get it off YouTube and figure out how to do it anyway. But, and then you've got, you know, you know, then you've got your Martha Stewart moments. You know, I say this at our church all the time, too, that, you know, they decorate better than anybody else, and they can tell you that. Y'all are looking at me a little strange, but... <laughs> Then you got your homeschool mothers, and I'm not against homeschool. My wife homeschooled for years, but you know they, they, they you know, they, you could tell a new homeschool mother because she's got it all together. You know, yeah. Wait till wait till they hit junior high. Their their theology changes. You know, when they start out homeschooling, you know they know the best curriculum, and they they're better than ever. They, they they got it all together. You know. Yeah, when their kids hit junior high, by the time they hit high school, they're just trying to survive. Amen. <laughs> That's real homeschool, isn't it? I don't even know what I was telling you now. I had so much fun saying all those illustrations. No, I'll tell you what it was. But then you have these parents that think they know, but the truth is when we start having children, we really don't know how to raise kids. We get employed and we really don't know. And here's the other thing about it. By the time you kindly figure it out just a little bit, you're unemployed. <laughs> it's time to walk them down the aisle. It's time to, I mean, it's over with. It's in a blink. You know, I thought about that one day. I thought, man, when I started out raising kids, I didn't know anything about how to raise a child. And then I didn't know, and, and see, I didn't have boys. I had girls. So I was really, you know, I was really out in left field. <laughs> I was the only male in the house, you know. And so, I mean, you know, girls, as they grow up, they, they go through all kinds of emotions and things. You know, I'd go down the hall sometime, you know, and that's my, my daughters would be sitting there on the bed. And, and you know, they'd, they'd be fussing at each other. And, and I'd, you know, I'd say, now, y'all quit that or, or I'm going to come in there and beat the devil out of you. You know, and so, uh, you know, they'd be fussing. And then I'd come back up the hall, you know, a few minutes later, and they'd be crying and hugging each other. <laughs> I go tell my wife, I say, I think they're losing it. I think they've lost their minds. You know, boys, you throw them out in the backyard, you know. They'll beat each other to head with a baseball bat, and then they're fine, you know. That's just how it is, you know. It's over with. There's no emotion. We don't have any emotion, amen. We just roll with the punches, amen. That's just life, amen. You throw a brick at each other one minute, and your, your friend's the next, amen. But it just doesn't really matter. Nothing matters to boys other than food, amen. Girls aren't that way. There's a lot of times, you know, I'd say, Lord, I need your help. And I realize God designed it that way for this reason, so that we would pray. I'm not saying we don't learn things and we should learn everything we can in parenting. By all means, read, study, get counsel. But what I'm telling you to this, the greatest thing that you will ever do for your children is to get on your knees every day and pray for them. And friend, that does not end when they get married. It doesn't end when they're grown and gone. It's all the days of our life. Job's children were raised, but he prayed for them, didn't he? He was steadfast. I ask you this question tonight. It's important to pray for missions. It's important to pray for sinners. It's important to pray for people we work with. But I'll tell you at the top of our list tonight, 
ought to be our children. You see, tonight, I'm going to tell you who's the, who God expects every one of us to pray for. He expects us, number one, to pray for our family because He gave them to us. He expects us, number two, to pray for our church family because He gave, it to us, gave them to us. And then thirdly, He expects us to pray for every single person that He lays on our heart to pray for. I can't pray for the whole world tonight. Preacher, you can't pray for the whole world. But I can pray for my wife. I can pray for my children, my daughters. I can pray for my son-in-law. I can pray for my five grandchildren tonight. I can take that church directory and I can pray. I don't know if you have a church directory or something of that nature, you know. Uh, but you could take a, a book and you could write down the name of every person. And listen, it only takes a few minutes to go through that directory. And you pray one for another. You know what I found out? You can't stay mad at people when you pray for them. Does anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. In fact, I don't want you to raise your hand. But does anybody you go to church with ever get on your nerves? Oh, I, I like to look at everybody when I say that because I know. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, people get on my nerves. Some of y'all have got on my, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> people get on my nerves, and I get on people's nerves. I love our church. I have nothing negative to say about our church, but if they were all here tonight, I've said it to them, and, and they probably said it to me. But the truth is, when you go to church three times a week with each other, sure, people has got on my nerves. But I'm going to tell you something. When you pray for people, you won't gossip about them. And when you pray for people, you won't stay mad at them. You won't begrudge them. When you pray for them, doesn't matter what they do to you, you won't distance yourself from them. Not when you pray for them. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, there's times I've prayed for people and I've said, Preacher, I've said, Lord, would you please deal with this person because they got a real bad attitude and God, they just, I mean, Lord, they just need, Lord, they need you to deal with them. And sometimes God would. And then sometimes God would say, Well, let's, let's talk about you. I know you got issues with them, but really it's you. You see, what I'm saying tonight is, is that when you pray for your children, God gives you special insight. He gives you a special burden. Your prayers will do things that nothing else will. You know, you've heard it said, Job sat in the ashes. What ashes did he sit in? No doubt he sat in those ashes. The very ashes of his children. He found comfort in the fact that he had prayed for them. That's why he could say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Because Job was sitting in the ashes of his own prayers for his children. Tonight I say this in closing. Do you have a burden for your children? You say, well, my kids are doing so well. Don't let that deter you. They may really be doing well, but they need your prayers tonight. The greatest decisions they'll ever make, they'll make it from 18 to 25 years of age, life-changing decisions. Don't wait till they're 18 to start praying for them. Pray for them right now. Pray that they'll marry in the will of God. Pray they'll serve Jesus all the days of their life. Pray that God will keep them from sin and Satan. Tonight it is important that we pray one for another. And I want to say tonight as they come and get us a song ready, if Job's children knew anything else about Job, they knew this. They knew Job prayed for them. Do your children know that tonight about you? 
Do they know that you pray for them every day? Do you call their names out in prayer? Do you have a list for your children? You know, tonight I'm all for kids, young people getting education. But it's a tragedy to me as a pastor when I see someone graduate from high school and college. It's a tragedy to me as a pastor when I see them graduate from high school and graduate from college and know that spiritually they've not, they've not progressed any. Their parents spent so much time focusing on a good education. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against that. You need it in this society. But I'll tell you what's more important than a good education. Their spiritual being tonight. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And tonight as we stand, our heads are about eyes are closed. You know, you may be a young person here tonight and need to come. And you may be a young person tonight, and if you have parents that you know pray for you, I tell you, you ought to hug their neck and thank them for that. Your parents are not perfect. Your parents are going to make mistakes. We all have and we all still do. But I tell you, you ought to hug your parents' neck. You ought to thank them. You ought to thank them for the prayers that they've prayed for you. It's kept you out of harm's way. You ought to thank them for all the tears they've shed. You never know how long you're going to have them. You ought to thank God for them every day. Thank God for their prayers. They'll live on. Tonight, parent, it just pays to pray. It pays to pray for them. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Yeah.